What was the relationship like with your dad? This podcast, Military Veteran Dad, is brought to you by the Business of Fatherhood, an effort by me to help you become a better dad. By helping dads create a lasting feeling of change on the inside, help them grow through generational trauma, and by redefining the definition of living. There is more to life than being alive. Find out more information about this, head on over to bencloy.com or check out the Business of Fatherhood podcast on any and all platforms. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad. I'm your host, Ben Cloy. And here again, we got part three of our veteran military series on coming home. And the feedback from you guys has been amazing. The downloads are already increasing. So somehow this was exactly what you guys were looking for. And I was being the idiot in the room. But I'm really glad that we created this. And I'm really glad that this content continues to make an impact and will now be able to create an impact further down the road. We have one more part coming up after this. And we're back to regular scheduled interview shows for the month of May. But if you would like to be impacted and be included and have a question on part four, please let me know. Ben at militaryveterandad.com. Reach out to me on Facebook. I am available pretty much everywhere you can find anybody on the internet. Just type Ben Cloy on the internet and you'll find me anywhere you go. Without further ado, let's dive into part three, the process of coming home. Welcome back to part three. In part three, we're going to dive into the process because I've hinted at this. I've given different tools and mindsets up to this point, but I want to highlight that, yes, there is a honeymoon phase. Yes, there is a tool set that you can use, like building empathy bridge, asking questions, understanding what life was like while you're gone, and trying to rebuild and pay back that time credit card. But what I learned in episode 115 with Joshua Johnson was there is a process. Now, there wasn't an illusion that there wasn't a process, but up to 115, I hadn't had it succinctly outlined to the listeners. And so what we're going to rehash here in this part is the information from episode 115. I encourage you to go back and listen to 115 because it was really good hearing it from his words, the successes, the process, and how he was able to repeat it over and over and refine it each time. So I want to highlight why I said the process. Because often what we escape or we ignore in these types of big changes is we just try to take it moment by moment. And there is something to be said for living in the moment, focusing on the now. But when we haven't done the work to clear the road, understand what's ahead, and understand where we want to go, it's very easy to get lost when you're just making moment-by-moment decisions. It's almost like trying to navigate to New York City from California, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to make stop sign by stop sign changes. And there is a chance that you could end up in New York, but there's an equal chance you could end up in New Mexico, Montana, or Nebraska, Wisconsin. All of those different things could happen equally. And using that analogy, I hope you realize that's why 
some of the analogies that I use in this podcast are related to Google Maps because Google Maps needs two points to work. It's brilliant at what it does, but it needs new two points. It needs to know where you are in the process of getting to New York. Are you in California or are you in Nevada? Makes a big difference. It needs to know where you're going definitively. Is New York where you want to go? So let's dive into the process as it was outlined in episode 115 with Joshua Johnson. First, I'm going to read through it and then we'll dive back into what I've learned about it and some of the basic intuition that I've learned about these different phases and some advice for them. So here we go. Week one, you come back home from wherever you are, no matter whether it's eight weeks, a year, six months, you come back home and you go into this guest mode that you are a guest in the house like a visitor. Could be like a close friend traveling through and staying the night or a few nights or a week, but you treat yourself like a guest in the house. You're polite to others. You don't assume different things. You always ask permission and you don't overly jump in to do things because as a guest, you know your place. And I think this is something that is really important when you're navigating, knowing in this particular case, you're not even the side seat driver in this case. You're just an observer in the back of the car. And you're not necessarily the one offering directions. You're not initially offering a lot of feedback. You're just there observing, going along for the ride, and you're just great to be back in that environment. Number two, you are family. So you're either like a cousin coming over or your mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever it may be, but you treat yourself like family, which means you have a little bit more connection. You have a little bit more trust within the family and you know kind of how things are flowing. You've been here before. As a guest, this is often you go with the intent, like I've never been in this house before, so I want to make sure I don't step on anybody's toes. When you go in this family, it's a little bit trickier. Week three, and this one changes it up a little bit. This one is about asking conversations about why. Why are you doing things a certain way? Trying to understand, be a student of conversations and a student of what is going on in your house. Try to understand why the things are the way they are. In week four, you share the roles. You are stone throw away from being equals in the house. You are stone throw away from being equal disciplinaries. And it's this week that you finally get to step into a feeling of, you know what? We are just so close to being back together. Those are the four weeks. So let's go back to week one. Week one, you are the guest. Why is this important? Because often, one, you should assume in the military as a person who is designed, trained, to have command and control, issue orders, coordinate action with other people, that you and your biases towards that will be self-destructive to the family. Because one, they don't want your leadership right now. They don't want your advice. They just are glad you're there. Just like a guest coming over. It's cool. It's nice. It feels good. And you should assume that those biases are going to be the things that erode coming home the fastest that your basic military instinct, even your instinct to essentially when you're TID, you're kind of batching it again. You don't have to worry about kids at months at a time. You are either in war or not worrying about kids at months at a time or at another Air Force base, military, army, whatever it may be base, not worrying about kids. So know that that bias towards control is what this process is really calibrating and putting a handicap on. 
Despite your straightforwardness, your partner may not want you to just jump back in. She's just glad to have a physical person in the house where, you know what, she could go out and go grab groceries or something and you're there. You're the cool guy that can keep the kids alive, but you're not necessarily one that's running the show. It sounds weird saying that, but knowing your bias, that you're biased towards this influence of bleh, over bringing the military, I think that's where we're going to make the first misstep in coming home. It's what I've heard in many of the stories from dads talking about this, that your training is still on and even recognizing and consciously turning off your natural instinct to find ways to control the world around you. That will be your Achilles heel and the thing that unwinds your work, try to coming home the fastest. Let's dive into week two. So week two, you're like the family. It's where you're familiar now. It's where you know that there's a routine. You know how to observe it. You know your place. And you also know where's the best place to support your partner. Is it at dinner? Is it getting the kids ready? You can kind of see the gaps that your partner may be having. And in those cases, this allows you to step in there. But I would also season with ask permission before you do it. Don't just assume. Always ask the question, hey, how can I best support you right now? Or if you do walk back in the door that day, ask, where is the best place to support you right now? Always check in. Because for your partner, it may not be as easy or where you think your partner needs you is the exact opposite. And generally, I can tell you, as a man that used to come home, think I, we could just jump in and do something. It was almost always the wrong thing. And where my wife and I, where she would want me to be somewhere else that would be really supportive versus where I initially thought. So always check in. And maybe let's use a Everybody Loves Raymond example with Marie Barone, where she would just jump into the house and just assume that she knew exactly where Deborah needed her. And it was always anxious, anxiety-ridden. You don't want to be Deborah from Everbrightless Raymond. You want to be someone that walks in the door, is glad to be there, but then looks to see where the other person needs to be supported by asking them where that is. An important step. So remember, week two is you are the family. You are not back to that point where you feel equals in your partnership, your marriage, that you are not equals in the house. You are not equal in authority with your kids. You're at this stage where you're useful, you're familiar, you're trustworthy, but there still needs to be that delay. Because again, I think it goes back to that bias of command and control. And we want that to be gradually turned on versus our military training that says, now, yes, yes, sir, and do it, vice versa. Week three, conversations about why. This is where you have to remember that life evolved without you. Procedures were in place without you. And in many cases, they were designed to be done by one partner. So adding two people to a process doesn't automatically make it better. And so first, it's like also like a consultant. A consultant going into a business and asking and changing things just because they think it's better does not mean it's better. Consultant always seeks to understand how the process is set up as is. And then together, you can try to design a to be state to get to. I think that's such a critical step that we can easily overlook when we talk about understanding why things are done a certain way. Week four, shared roles. This is the most important because this is your week where it gets back to normal. 
and maybe not normal, but it definitely gets to a point of like, you know what? We're rebuilding. We're at this point where we feel together again. We understand what life was like with each other without us. We understand what life was like when we were away, what, like, what we did when we were away, what things maybe with your kids that you might have missed out on. You've had these conversations to understand different things. You have those empathy bridges to build strong conversations. You have a path of where you want to go again because you've understood where things had to be while you were gone, and now you've created the infrastructure to go forward to have a destination, to have a tool like Google Maps to navigate with, to have a solid foundation of trust in each other that you both are advocating for the same thing. I think that's also critical because oftentimes when we forget that we're advocating for the same thing or have an idea that we're advocating for different things, it just creates this complex that makes it very difficult to get together. When we think about this process continuing, This process isn't something that just immediately ends. And this process isn't something that's perfect as four weeks. But as Joshua Johnson put it, each time they did it, it got sharper and sharper as a tool to effectively reintegrate the family. Because it's a process to learn. It's no different that when a company adds something, it's a process to learn. Well, the process may work in the long run. It's a process, nonetheless, that they need to create and learn. It's like a muscle. So remember, depending on the age of kids, all these things are learned behavior, learned ideas. So to wrap that up, week one, remember that you're a guest in your home. Week two, remember you're integrating as this next step that you're family. Week three, have conversation and understand why things are the way they are. Week four, understand that this is a week where you start to develop shared roles, test certain things where you then can become the authority as equal playing field in your kids' lives, your family's life, and whatever that shared role might be that seems natural to process that in. So we've talked about the perfect world. Now I want to talk about why this actually has no chance of working and why you might actually self-sabotage this to prevent it from happening. Because what I believe in the first 12 minutes of this part in this series is really good. It is really helpful. But we have a lot of things inside of us as veterans that we need to process in order for this to get better. Let's talk about number one, barriers to your emotions. Barriers to your emotions. Within these contexts, I want you to understand that your insecurity to process your own PTSD, to process your story, to process pain, or in some ways, start feeling for the first time. As a member of the military, we are programmed to turn our feelings off, to turn off our ability to even worry about how we feel. But yet it is that thinking, that barrier, that will prevent this process from taking hold. Here's why. Some cases, your partner's emotions might not always be perfect. And if it's like life, it's pretty much a certainty. We all have our bad days. Number two, Our kids do not have perfect days. Our kids have only been here for a few years. We have much more time on earth than they do. They're still learning how to regulate their emotions. So generally, their emotions can be all over the place. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And here's what happens. In both scenarios where the emotions get so sensitive, they get so heightened, where a person that's been told to turn their emotions off, those emotions 
remove you from the process. Your brain is going to sell you something that essentially says something like this. In order to survive, we need to pull back. We need to pull up. Because right now, these emotions are like heat-seeking missiles, and I feel really uncomfortable, and my anxiety, my chest is tightening. So you know what? We're just going to pull up, we're going to fly out of here, and we're going to go somewhere else, whether it be physically or emotionally. But I recognized in this process, this podcast, that our process to come home emotionally, not just physically, which is why this whole thing exists, is tied into essentially this. That the emotions on the outside world make you feel insecure on the inside world and your reaction is to retreat. To pull back from that process, to pull back from life or to numb it through cigarettes, alcohol, whatever other addiction that men can add to their life. That is our process to think about. So how do we deal with this? What if your emotions are the barrier preventing you from coming home? What if your emotions are the thing preventing you from letting this process take hold? One, know the enemy. I just helped you know the enemy. Two, realize there's a process to get through that, to attack the enemy. Often, that's in talk therapy. Often, that's working with a coach like myself. Often, that is just dealing with and not avoiding what you need to go through. In your mind, you are wired for survival. If it sees emotions as a threat, it's going to run. It's going to retreat. Knowing the game that your mind plays with you is so important for you to be able to get through and to let this process work, to get to week four, to get to week five, to get to year five, whatever it may be. But this process is extremely important in all the things that we do, because here's the bottom line. This is the front lines of war, the one that's waged in your mind. And not understanding how this process is taking hold, not understanding how your mind's going to resist it because of emotions, is going to set you up for this failure to move forward, and it's going to build resentment, it's going to build more time debt, and it's going to build walls, preventing your family from coming back together, and you're going to have one of those days that you would rather hang drywall than be with your family. Or, like I mentioned in week one, you're going to have thoughts that, man, I feel deployed to Texas and I felt home in Afghanistan. Doesn't require emotions in Afghanistan. It requires emotions at home in Texas. Those feelings are extremely important to process. Next, I want to give you a technique and it's not unfamiliar, but I don't think we've ever had this wording or vocabulary applied to it. And it's a term that I first read about in the book, Scream Free Marriage, written by Hal Runkle, who has been an amazing mentor in my life within parenting and in marriage content, understanding and helping men mature in their own story and vice versa. And there's a term that he uses called going to the balcony. And this term essentially is no matter what the field looks like, think of it like this. If you were on a battlefield and you could pause the battle and essentially go up to 100 feet in the air and just look down from the balcony, what would you see? What would you be able to think about by going to the balcony? And some of the questions I want you to think about when you go to the balcony are these. What is really going on here? What are both sides trying to argue? What do they really want out of that argument? What is their desired end state to get to? 
Because oftentimes in the moment when we're faced with the heat of battle, it's very difficult to separate and think rationally about what's going on. But in the balcony, there's no shots being fired. Time is paused. And you can infinitely think about what the other person might be thinking about. And you could infinitely think about, is what I'm saying even true? Is what I'm saying even worth saying? Because oftentimes when we're fighting emotions and fighting these stories, what we're saying has no bearing in reality. It's just an instinct of BS that we sell ourselves. What part of this pattern am I playing? Right before that question, I want you to ask, is this pattern continuation? Have I been here before? Because answering that question allows you to answer, what part of the pattern am I playing? What we often overlook is that life and fights and different issues we face in life is a sequence of patterns, is a sequence of patterns that we continue to grow through, to figure out and become. So realizing that you were in a pattern, I've been here before, going to the balcony allows you to see, you know, like when X happens, I am the reactionary Y. And you know, if I remove Y, X no longer has anything to interact with. And if I have no longer anything to react with, everything stops. The pattern requires two people generally. This applies to your kids. If you realize you're like, man, I've been having this conversation over and over with my kids. Realize it takes two people. What part of the pattern are you playing and how can you interrupt it? To me, those are valuable, valuable instincts and insights to think about. How can I reveal my intentions and myself? Think about this. In the moment, you're most likely being misunderstood. There's something you're trying to communicate, but you're being misunderstood because you don't have the right instincts, you don't have the right vocabulary, or you just haven't paused to think about what you're trying to think about or even communicate. So think about what am I actually trying to say? What am I trying to reveal? And how can I reveal my true intentions in a different way outside the pattern, but then also in a very adult-to-adult style, realizing you don't want to go from one adult talking to the other like a child or vice versa or two childs acting as adults but acting with childlike behavior yelling at each other because that's not also effective realizing that there is someone inside you that you're trying to reveal to be heard when you're at the balcony you can be able to see it differently as you go forward and finally i want to wrap up with an idea that was also submitted as a feedback to some of the earlier parts. And that is, what if these sequences of events that I've talked about, what if these feelings and steps of the process don't feel natural? They don't feel normal. Or they feel like I missed something. Because it doesn't often happen coming home is a straight line. Sometimes you might come home before the unit. Sometimes you might come home by yourself. And you're going to be getting these sequence of events maybe earlier than everybody else. These sequence of events is that a sequence. And secondly, I want you to understand that if there is any gap in what you feel, if there's any understanding that you're like, you know what? I just, I want that. I didn't have that. What do I do? And I'll give you an even particular example that came where when we were talking about the honeymoon phase, which was a process that I mentioned, One particular person asked, well, what if you didn't get the honeymoon phase? What if you came home early? And what if you felt like you missed out on something in the process of coming home? 
whether it be the coming home sex, whether it be the banner, whether it be the music, the band, walking off the airplane, the feeling, whatever you may miss. And even in these four weeks that I talked about here, there could be some part of that doesn't happen in four-week process because of whatever reason. A lot of times what happens in these moments, and I think the feeling we feel whenever we feel like we missed out on something or often it can show up as, you know, I feel like I missed a step or I feel like something's missing right now. Because what you might actually feel when you're coming home is you might actually feel that there's just a void. And in many cases, you're like, man, I didn't get that. That would have felt amazing. And so that kind of the missing of it creates a void or what it looks like a void. But I asked the person that asked that question, and I want to ask you in this whole context up to this point, think about this. In the context of what you've done so far, in the context of all the different times you've tried coming home, understand what that you might be feeling might actually have nothing to do with war. It might actually have nothing to do with the process. And it might just be a momentarily magnification of something that is really sad or something that needs to be acknowledged from a long time ago, whether it be your childhood, whether it be your teenage years, I would make a big guess that a lot of our issues in coming home are magnificational moments where something isn't right in our soul. And this coming home process highlights this insecurity. It highlights that something's not right. And when that circuit board needs to get powered up, it fries for whatever reason. And I think recognizing that it might not be the process of coming home. It might not be your spouse. It might not be your kids. It might be that this process is triggering a circuit board within your soul to get fired up, utilized, run some calculations, get excited about a certain group of things. And that circuit board has been fried from something else. And you getting triggered, you reaction to it in a certain way, that might and most likely has nothing to do with currently is going on. There is a chance it's tied to PTSD. There is a chance it's tied to trauma. But there's also a chance that has nothing to do with any of those. And depending on how you feel, depending on how many times you've felt that way, ask yourself the hard question, is this the first time that I've ever felt that way? That is a good leading indicator if you have something else going on. Again, recognize the pattern. Go to the balcony. What are you seeing in that process? And what are you not seeing? Have you been here before? Because if you recognize a pattern, you can then begin to understand it. And if you can understand it, you can begin to interrupt it. This concludes part three of a deployment series at Coming Home. I'll be back with you guys for part four. 